We're going to read every verse of this big book of the Bible tonight. Now, as before we dive into it tonight, who, who thinks in this, I, this is not a bragging statement or anything like that, because you're the good Christians that are here on a Wednesday night, so I know there's not pride in your heart when I ask this question. But who would say you know some, at least you got a good grasp on Second John already on the book? If that's you, just slip your hand. I'm not going to ask you questions about it tonight, okay? I'm not going to quiz you. But you think you got, got an okay grasp on it. And so it's a very short book of the Bible, 13 verses to be exact. And so, if I just totally turn to 1 John 13, that means verse 13, because there's no chapters. It's just one simple little book. It's a letter written by John. We're going to read the entire thing, and then we will break it down and explain it tonight. 2 John, verse 1. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace, from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. Let me help you out before we go any further tonight. There's one word that has been used five times already. What's that word in those first few verses? Truth. So when the truth is mentioned that many times in that short of verses, that means the truth is important to this passage. There's something that John's trying to Tell us about the truth. The Bible wasn't the key, wasn't one of the things you learn in school. The key to learning or the repetition is the key to learning. And sometimes when God wants you to get something out of something, He will give you it repeated over and over again. The word truth is repeated over and over again. Verse number five. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I write I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we have from the beginning that we love one another. And this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is, the de this is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, or God be with you, that sort of thing. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I wouldn't write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. What a little book. 
What a lot of packed into 13 verses right here. Two words we see a lot about tonight. Truth and love. Christianity would do itself a big favor if it would study 2 John. This world cries that love means tolerance, right? Wouldn't, that, wouldn't our world equate love and tolerance? Well, I hear a lot of that garbage going around in churches today, too. Tolerance is not love. Love requires truth. You go to the doctor, and you have a scan, and you have cancer. And the doctor comes back and says, everything's fine. Go home, live your life, everything's good. I can't tell, I love them too much to tell them the bad news. You say, that doctor doesn't love them. That doctor would tell them the truth so they could get treatment to help with what's going on. But in our world today, the way we act about love, we would say, don't say anything about it. Real love requires truth. Short and sweet tonight. My message might not be short and sweet, but the book's short and sweet. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in. Father, we love you. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for your love for us. Bless this passage tonight and help us as we study it. Help us apply it to our lives and our hearts. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A little bit of review about John. He's the last of the 12 apostles to die. The last one living when this book was written. He wrote five books, we know that, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. And uh, he wrote the book of 1st John as a family letter. The word children is mentioned 11 times, fathers used 13 times. And tonight I want to talk to you about how real love requires truth. Let's look at the beginning three verses, and we're going to break some things down, and we won't be too long tonight. We see verse 1. The elect, uh, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever, grace be unto you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. We see at the beginning the elder. Who's the elder? John, John penned these words. Who did he pin these words to? to? Unto the elect lady and her children. There are two possibilities who the elect lady is and her children, what it could be. I'm going to give you both. I will tell you which way I lean, and then I wouldn't die for it, but that's just the way I lean. That would, and I'm not going to argue with anybody if they feel differently. The first option for this elect lady and her children could have been a specific lady in a church. Likely the person whose home the church met in could possibly be. That's one opinion that's out there. It could be a metaphor and be metaphorical, which I tend to believe. Because the church is the bride of Christ, correct? So when we look at this here, I technically believe this is written to the church and the churches that come out of that church. That's my opinion. 
If you don't agree with that, I'm not going to fight you about it because we'll ask John when we get to heaven. And I really don't think we'll even ask John. I don't think we'll even care when we get to heaven. So if it's a lady and her children he's writing to, which it would just sound kind of weird for John to be writing these words, I love you. And uh, he's writing to the church. It's, it's obvious. But anyways, if you, whatever you want to think there as we go through here. So you got John writing this to the elect lady and her children. As we look here tonight, there are several points I want to make. And some of them will be brief. Some of them will take a few minutes. But I want to give you four main thoughts tonight in this area of real love requires truth. Number one, as we look at this tonight, as we just break down the book, we're just going through it. The first thing that we see is we see praise. We see in verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. Four, five times I said in the first five, four, five verses, you see the word truth in those first four verses. And you just see some praise at the beginning here. And this letter, why is it? It's written for truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. You know, the truth will always be there. Jesus Christ is not going anywhere. The word of God's not going anywhere. Truth will always be here. But I want you to understand something. As long as this world exists, and as long as Satan is around, the God of this world, just as there will always be truth, there will always be a counterfeit to the truth. Till all things are made new, till Satan is bound permanently, there will be a counterfeit to truth. you got to understand that tonight. Satan will do his best to go against the truth. But as John begins writing this letter here, this short letter, he begins with praise. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. I don't think there's anything greater than we could ask as parents. That as our children grow up in the Lord, to see that our children walk in the truth of God's word. I think as a pastor, there's nothing greater that could be said that those that, those that are the Lord gives me, that they walk in truth. And I think John even says that, doesn't he? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. He says that in another spot. We see the praise that comes, but then we see, number two, we see a reminder. We see a reminder. So he praises them in verse number four. But in verse number five, he says, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I write a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that ye have also heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. The theme of this letter is truth, but also love. As we look here, the overwhelming theme is to be a lover of the truth. That's what we see. You can't throw out truth for love's sake. It's not love if it's not based on God's truth. Does that make sense tonight? That's what we see right here. Many Christians don't want to deal with this one or draw a line in the sand over theological issues, so we bend the truth and call it an act of love. But John says that truth and love 
cannot and should not be separated from one another. Someone said it like this, love is rarely attacked, whereas truth almost always is. Underneath number two, this reminder, there's a blank there, true love is always accompanied by truth. True love is always accompanied by truth. Who is truth? Jesus Christ is truth, right? His word is truth. True love and God's word, you've got to understand, true love is always accompanied by truth. When you look at the word of God and you study doctrines in God's word, you'll hear pastors say, you might even hear me say, this is God's absolute truth for everyone. You'll be criticized when you say something like that. Because by saying that, you're not loving everyone. That's what the world would claim. Sad thing is, that's how most Christians live their lives today. Most of our churches in America today, that's how they are. We're being politically correct instead of being biblically correct. And you can do both. You can. It's important. Christian love is often misunderstood by our society. We hear that saying, aren't Christians supposed to be tolerant? How can you call yourself a Christian and call out that belief or call out a person that lives this, this type of lifestyle? How can you do it? In fact, there are a lot of churches today that are divided along those lines. We have two types of churches today. Really three, but two types if we're lo really looking at it. You have the churches that are truth-oriented. Churches that major in doctrine, evangelism, and preaching the word of God. But then you have churches that are love-oriented. And they stress counseling, fellowship, recovery groups, soup kitchens, reaching out to the community. Say, well, which one are we to be? Both. That's what we're to be. We're not just supposed to be, you got to understand something, there are a lot of churches out there that display the truth, but the love of God's nowhere to be found in them. Now, I could give you example after example, and you go online and listen to their preaching and listen to what they preach and what they teach. You're like, I hear the doctrine, and I hear the word of God, but there's no love in their action. God did not intend for his church to be a place without love. But I'll tell you this. God also didn't design his church to be a place of love and no truth. For some reason in Christianity, though, there's this problem. We either have too much truth and no love, or we have too much love and no truth. Why can't we just be bad... The key word in the Christian life, if you learn nothing else tonight, the key word in the Christian life is balance. Jesus was full of grace and truth, both. So as a church, where do we want to be? We want the truth. We want to buy the truth and sell it not. Am I correct? We need to stand for the truth. We also need to be loving people and loving the way that Christ would have us love. So we cannot be the type of church that tolerates everything, but we also can't be the type of church that cuts everyone out if they don't do things just like us either. There's got to be the balance, and there must be truth and love together. 
Does that make sense? That's what we need today. That's what churches need today. I wish every pastor would listen to me for two minutes tonight. We need both. Many unbelievers and even believers don't see love and confrontation as compatible. We're surrounded today, and it's, oh, it's, it's even getting to the point of being sickening, political correctness. It's sickening. It's getting so bad. You know, and that even there are Bible versions that try to be politically correct today. You know, you want to read a different version and do your own thing. When you start taking the words to knock down what the Bible says, there's a problem there. And when we look at this, you got to understand, you gotta, the, wor- the world believes love means tolerance. Tolerate everything. If someone wants to go blow up a building, let them blow it up. If they want to knock down all these things and riot in the streets, let them do it. Let's tolerate it. But then those same people, when someone does something to them, they can't tolerate it. And they don't see it. They preach tolerance, but it's tolerance for the things they want to have tolerance for. But you've got to understand something. This world's never known how to love. So why would we expect the world to be any other way? True love comes from God. Right? So this world will not know the true way to love. The problem is, many Christians are falling into that same trap that the world is in today. And God does not want it that way. Many Christians fall prey to that line of thinking. Let me give you a couple of biblical examples. Let me just think of these people. Think about Elijah. He was a little confrontational, wasn't he? He stood against the prophets of Baal and King Ahab. And he stood for what was right. A little confrontational. Think about Paul. He spoke out against legalism. He spoke out against the Judaizers of the day. Little confrontational, just a little bit. John wrote against the Gnostics in 1 John. Even here, you can even look later on, we'll look. Jesus himself criticized the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Sometimes confrontation is necessary because it's part of true love. Now let me just say, there are people that thrive on confrontation. I'm not one of those that thrives on confrontation. I don't like confrontation. Be honest. Anybody in here like confrontation? There are people that do. Get on Facebook and post something controversial and see who jumps on all the comments. They love it. There are some people that just love confrontation. I can think of lots of people. I'm not one of those. But I'll tell you this. There are times where there's got to be confrontation out of love. Think tonight, parents, your teenage child, or your child grows to be a teenager, and you find out that they're drinking and doing drugs, what would you do? Oh, I'm just going to tolerate it. It's probably going to cause a confrontation, and you're going to try and help them and intervene. Why? Because you hate them? No, because you love them. True love, there's going to be confrontation every once in a while. True love, things will be said that people might not like. 
Do people like to hear the fact that they're a sinner? No. So I just won't tell anyone they're a sinner. You know, if people don't like talking about hell, I just won't talk about hell with them. So let them burn and go to hell. That's real love, isn't it? Real love tells people about the gospel. That's how love is supposed to be. That's how God designed it to be. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is stand for the truth no matter what the cost. Not to tell someone the truth of the gospel is selfishness. Not loving them. If you love somebody, you're going to tell them the truth about what the Word of God says. That's the way it works. You know, teens in the room, thank God that if you've got parents that will stand up and tell you the truth even when you don't like to hear the truth. Thank God for that tonight. Hey, Christians, you should thank God for pastors or preachers who are willing to preach the truth even when it's not popular in the day and age that we live. Students, you need to be thankful for the classes you're able to take where your teachers stand up for truth and teach you things that are right. It's so important. You've got to understand something. This world will never understand it. Oh, this world. What does the Bible teach about salvation? Ah, oh, just do your best and you'll figure your way there. That's our world's answer to it. When God's answer is, we're all sinners. We all deserve to die and go to hell. Jesus died and took our hell so that we could have heaven. But it just doesn't sound as nice. we got to quit worrying about being so politically correct and be biblically correct in what we do. The truth matters. Love matters. They go hand in hand together. What does the Bible teach about adultery? Oh, it's open to interpretation, whatever you think. No, you sleep with someone that you're not married to. It's adultery, and God is not for it. It's sin. It's wrong. God's not for teenagers or those not married fornicating with other people. Our world doesn't, churches don't even like talking about that today. But a good reminder from John here. Love requires truth. True love is shown in our walking in truth. What's the overall goal, number three? We see the goal. Look at verse number eight. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. The goal of walking in the truth, truth and love together, what is the goal of it? To be faithful to the end. We want to be faithful and fruitful and receive the reward that God has for us. We're going to go through our Bible reading um, thing that we're doing. And Joyce, I, you comment every day. You, you literally, I think there, I think you could actually be the pastor of this church. You, you give some good insight to a lot of things on there. Don't worry, she's not going to be. But she, you can tell she's a pastor's daughter by far. You definitely see it. And I like reading her comments. And, oh, and the two of you, Caroline and Joyce, I have a response tonight about Hezekiah and Manasseh and Josiah. I got some biblical responses there for those thoughts. So I'll put those on later on tonight. But I love going through there, but one of the things that really saddens me is reading about all, 
like, let's just use Solomon for an example. I don't think Solomon, okay, we understand that Bathsheba's his mom, and we understand the mess that David made to even get to this point. But Solomon starts out so well. I mean, man, he starts out good. And he asks God for wisdom instead of riches, and God blesses him with everything. And then we see how his life ends up. He didn't stay faithful to God all the way through. We could look at, the, we look at his son Rehoboam. Think about Jeroboam. God chose Jeroboam to be king over those ten tribes. And look at how he ended. Look at how all those things happened. We look at Hezekiah. We're reading about Hezekiah today. And Hezekiah did some things he shouldn't do, and then God tells him he's going to die, and then God ends up letting him live. But God tells him, he says, your children will suffer because of the decisions that you've made. Manasseh was the way he was because of the decisions that Hezekiah made. Say, well, why was Josiah so good? God's, God will use someone, and Josiah, because he did what was right, God's hand was stayed. But look at Josiah's son and grandson. They're the ones who end up going into Babylon in that time, and they get killed off, and they were wicked. Man, we want to stay faithful to God. You want to know how you stay faithful? You have to have the truth, and you have to have love. Both. Together. And the thing that we have in Christianity today, I've said it, and I'll say it over and over again, type of churches I grew up in, I see it a lot. The older the man of God gets, the more staunch nose they get in the truth, and they forget about the love of God. Not always, just sometimes. You also see on the other end, those that see things like that, and I can't be like that, so they go over here, and there's no truth anymore, and it's all just love everybody as they are. There's got to be a balance. And if you want to finish faithfully to the Lord, you better get a hold of the truth and you better get a hold of true love and keep those moving forward. It's important. That's the goal. So we see tonight, we see some praise, we see a reminder, we see the ultimate goal, but then we see the dangers that are coming along the way. The dangers that come. What are the dangers? Look with me at verse number 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So listen tonight. He praises them for the truth. He reminds them that true love and truth go together for the ultimate goal of finishing faithfully to the Lord when our days are done. But when you try to stand with love and truth, there's dangers that come along the way. The first danger is deceivers. We just read about them. There are many deceivers that are entered into this world. Who is a deceiver? A deceiver is one who confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So if someone preaches the fact that Jesus is not the Son of God, they are a deceiver and they are going against Christ. 
if they say that Jesus isn't God in the flesh, if they cast down who Jesus is, they're a deceiver. And you've got to watch guard for them so that they don't mess up your truth. In that day, you've got to put this in context in John's day. He was talking about the Gnostics of his day. False prophets. Basically, the Gnosticism, one of the things that it believed was that all of humanity is bad, which we would agree humanity is bad, right? The thing you've got to remember is all false doctrine has some truth in it. That's how the devil tries to get you. Because we would all agree that mankind is bad. But their belief is that since mankind is so bad, there's no way that Jesus could have been God because God could never put on flesh because man's that bad. That's why you see this said right here. This is the meaning and why you see it here. He's saying those who confess not that Jesus Christ comes. So those Gnostics that are creeping into the church in that day, they're deceivers. You've got to watch out for them. We look around today. Oh, all churches are just trying to find their way. No, they're not. There's one way. Jesus Christ. Say, so are you saying that your way is better than their way? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. What's, what makes your way better than their way? Are you ready? It's right here. That's it. If it was based on my way or their way, sure, anyone can have their way. It's not based on that. It's based on this book and what this book says. If someone goes against this book, they're a deceiver. Hey, things matter today. The church you go to matters. The doctrine you listen to today matters. The things you believe matter. The people you listen to, your podcast, matter. All that stuff matters. There are deceivers out there lying in wait to get you away from the truth. There's dangers to watch out for. If you're going to finish this thing, do what God wants you to do, you've got to watch out for the deceivers. Number two, you've got to watch out for the deserters. Verse number nine, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. There are those who don't have right doctrine. There are the deceivers. There are the deserters. They might claim the name of Christ, might look good for a time, but they transgress against the truth the verse is talking about here. What are the enemies to truth? The deceivers, the deserters, and then here's another one, the dividers. Look at verse number 10. If there come any among you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Whoo! That wouldn't fly in today's world, would it? That wouldn't fly in our churches today, most of the time. John tells them to watch out for those who come in and try to influence you away from the doctrines that are found in this book. They try to criticize the Bible preaching that you're on, whatever the case may be. They seek to get you to go in their direction. And what John's saying, hey, watch out. There's a danger there. Truth should change the way we think, the way we live. It's important. 
Look at verse 12 and 13. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. He's saying that he's basically, and you see another church is sending their greeting. That's, that's how I, why I believe that it's a church that he was writing to. What we got to do is, as a church, we need to walk in truth and love. Watch out for false teachers. Try every spirit. Isn't that what the scriptures say? Watch out for those who try to influence you with dangerous thoughts and opinions. Where is truth? Thy word is truth. As a church, we must be in God's word. We need to be in the word. We need to, remember on Sunday we talked about being a fan or a follower. And we talked about being, getting, having a personal relationship with Jesus. We need that. He is truth. Where are you going to find real love? God is love. So what you got to understand is this. The only way we can do what John's talking about here is by keeping this book front and center in everything that we do, having a close relationship with Jesus. And I understand that being saved, we all have a relationship. But you can be as close to God as you want to be. If you chose today, you could have re- read your Bible and you could be as, you could be thinking about him more than other people are. It's all based on what you want to do. You could have prayed today if you wanted to, or you didn't have to pray. That was up to you. You draw nigh to God, and guess what? He'll draw nigh to you. And yes, he's always there. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's always right there. But the fact of the matter is, you could read your Bible today. You could pray. You could be closer to him today if you wanted to be. But what you got to see is this. God's word, God's house, time in God's presence, these things fill us with truth and love and the ultimate goal of the Christian life is to have true love with the truth. If you want to finish the race, you need the truth. And you need God's love. And you need the balance of it. And if any of you can figure out and get the balance figured out perfectly, teach me so I can get it figured out. Because it's something I struggle with each and every day. Balance with it. Because it's not an easy thing. We want to reach this world for Christ, don't we? And I, I hope you do. If you don't, I don't know why you're even here. But anyways, I would think you want to. But sometimes, you know, do we be more loving in this area? Do we not? Do we stand for the truth in this area? Where do we stand? You know, COVID over the last year, you know, the governor just, uh, I think today, it's amazing. He doesn't do news conferences when he posts anything about churches and his guidelines. He just throws it out there. I think he thinks like every pastor reads all that stuff. I quit reading this stuff a long time ago. Got better things to read. But now it's at kind of at church's discretions on what they do. And uh, thank you. I didn't need your help on that one. You can go back to worrying about everything else you got to worry about. Maybe worry about that recall, right? Wouldn't that be good if that happened? But then, hey, we get Caitlyn Jenner as our president. I mean, as our governor then. So run as the Republican. Anyways, we'll leave that one alone right there tonight. But yet with COVID, do you have church 
because the Bible says you have church? Or do you love your neighbor as yourself and be neighborly and love the, your community and not have church? And I can't make decisions for what other churches do, but there were a lot of churches that said, we're going to love our neighbor and not have church. And some of them still haven't had church. And do you realize coming up in two weeks, we've been back to every service in this building for a year. And some churches are barely getting back to even meeting. We had to stand with truth. That's where I stood. We love people and we love God. But you love God and his truth and then you love people. That's the key. The first and great commandment is to love God. Then love your neighbor as yourself. That's why truth matters. We in Christianity are getting it backwards today. May this church always stand for the truth and for true love. And the day it doesn't, get yourself a new pastor. Vote me out if I change on that. When I die someday, make sure you get a pastor in here that stands for the truth and for God's love. Not too far bent on the truth and has no love, and not all love and not bent on truth. But we need a good dose of both. That's what this short little book's all about.